Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. with more Inside the Clubhouse with Bruce Levine and Matt Spiegel on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com, Chicago's sports station. Sure is Inside the Clubhouse. Big voice guy, don't lie. That's Russ Matera. Happy holidays to everyone. Hope you're enjoying your boxing day as our next guest joins us on the Alpamonte Ford Hotline. Alpamonte Ford is in Melrose Park. Bruce? The outstanding columnist and reporter for the USA Today for a million years, even though he's still a very young man, our friend Bob Nightingale joins us on Inside the Clubhouse. Uh, Happy holidays to you, Bob. Thanks for taking some time out on a Saturday morning to talk a little ball with us. How are you doing? Yeah, doing great. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Bruce. Thanks, Matt. Yeah. Hey, look, uh, Bob, uh, let's start out with uh, your Chicago White Sox, uh, meaning baseball Chicago White Sox, and uh, the uh, team that seems to have been the most active so far in baseball, uh, making moves for Eaton, making moves uh, for Lynn. And uh, do you think uh, this is the end of the line for the Chicago White Sox, or are there more moves up the sleeve of Rick Hahn and the Chicago White Sox. Yeah, they still need to get a closer. So, you know, they got their eyes on uh, Liam Hendricks. You know, and I think by going more <clears throat> going more the cheap route with Adam Ean, you know, rather than getting a Brantley or something like Michael Brantley or someone like that, you know, allows them to uh, pursue a Hendricks. I know Hendricks wants a four-year deal. I, I don't think the White Sox will go four years. I'm not, I don't know if anybody will. But, you know, I think they'll go three years, and uh, yeah, he's on top of the wish list. You know, and all the uh, other projections have him even, you know, having a better year in 2021. You know, this guy's been, this guy's been fabulous on the field. A delight, uh, you know, in that clubhouse with media, uh, teammates, everything else. Uh, just a, a great guy to be around. Interesting. You think the you know, number is uh, sorry, Matt. Uh, just ahead. let me get this quick one in, and you go ahead. Uh, you think the number is uh, fifteen to seventeen a year that he's looking for, Bob? Yeah, I think that's what he's looking for. I don't think he'll get that, Bruce. Uh, but you know, maybe around you know maybe forty million or so, you know, over those three years. Uh, you know, because there's still some closers out there. But he, you know, he stands out there by himself. Uh, I don't think anyone's really close to him. And, uh, you know, just a, you know, like you said, a, a stand-up guy. I, I think he's still feeling perfect in that clubhouse, or any clubhouse for that matter. You know, what's interesting is that Alex Colomay 
did a phenomenal job here for the White Sox. And we, everybody kind of wrote him off. What's the market like for Colome? Because, yeah, I mean, Hendricks's market should be better. And the stuff is, I mean, he certainly throws harder. But Colome has been devastating. The numbers have been great. Is, is a reunion with the White Sox at all possible for Colome? Oh, I think it is, Matt. I think it's a, you know uh, certainly a, a good, uh, a very good backup plan. And I know Colin May wants to come back from everything I'm hearing. I think it's just more the, that intimidation factor. Like when Colin May comes in, I'm not sure the opposing teams fear him or there's an intimidation like there is with the, with the Hendricks. Like, okay, this game's going to be over. Where I think teams really have a chance with Colin May. But, you know, he's been, he's been very good. If they have to sell on him, fine. But I think, you know, I think there's a reason why they went, you know, and got to Adam Ian instead of, you know, spending more money on, on, on somebody else. I think they wanted to save money there so they could spend money in that closer position. Bob Nightingale from USA Today, our guest on Inside the Clubhouse. He's Matt. I'm Bruce. We're here with you until 1130 today, normally 9 to 11, 52 weeks out of the year, talking baseball Chicago style. Bob, uh, when you look at the Chicago Cubs and you hear – the names of Bryant, and now that's cooled off as far as being traded, and now you Darvish. What, what's your perspective on uh, what the goal of the Chicago Cubs under Jed Hoyer being the president of baseball operations is going forward from 2021 and beyond that? Well, I think it, they're actually in a very uh, good position in the, in the sense that nobody in the central division is going out and really trying to uh, spend money and win it. So the Cubs can actually rebuild and, and stay competitive at the same time. I mean, you can trade some of these guys and, uh, and, and still have a chance to, uh, you know, you know, go, go into October as the uh, NL Central title champion. Uh, so, yeah, with Bryant, I think some of these guys, I don't think we'll see deals until maybe spring training. You know, until with, with the uh, – Chris Bryant, if you're going to make $20 million or so and you're not having fans in the stands and uh, teams are going to lose money again, you know, there's just not much of an appetite for him. I think, you know, Mike Rizzo was right, you know, uh, last week. We said, hey, we're not talking about him. And I'm not sure anybody is. I, I still think the Cubs can get, you know, some real good prospects with, without eating some of that salary. And uh, if you're going to have to eat, eat some of that salary, you know, maybe, maybe you keep them and, uh, you know, you can do them later on if you want. And is there much conversation going on about Javier Baez or, or Wilson Contreras or even Anthony Rizzo? And Rizzo, I, I doubt more. But how about Baez and Contreras? Are they, are they being discussed in trades? I haven't heard Baez's name at all. Uh, yeah, Contreras' name is, is out there for sure. And, uh, you know, everybody just kind of saying, you know, we don't know what we want these uh, salaries. Obviously, Contreras' salary, you know, isn't like uh, isn't like Bryant's or anything like that. Uh, you know, he has he has a, a market out there, but I, I think some people say, you know, well, I'm not sure we want to jump on this guy. You know, I, I'm, you know, we're we're not crazy about you know his personnel and the way he, you know conducts business behind the plate. Uh, you know, you have to. I think once you're around him. You really like the guy, but sometimes I think on the other teams it's like, well, he's the he's the guy we hate on the Cubs just because he's so uh, demonstrative and everything else. Uh, but yeah, I, I I still think Bryant's the guy. I, I don't see Darvish being moved. Same thing. I mean, Darvish did have a, a very good last, you know, good season last year, 
but you know, it's just a, a few starts from last year. You got to be you got to be convinced that the, the U Darvish we saw the last year and a half is continue to be the same guy and not the guy that was with the Cubs, you know, the first couple of years. I would think the perception was Bob that if you trade Bryant, you can still be competitive for the guys that you get back and major league ready. In the case of Darvish, do you think the perception would be if you're trading Darvish, you're trading for 22, 23, 24, rather than trying to compete uh, and uh, get get younger at the same time in 21? Well, I just think because that division, I, I mean, I think on paper, that division is going to be the worst division in baseball. I think uh, you know, trade a Bryant or even if you trade a uh, Darvish, that you can still contend uh, you know, with what they have. I mean, obviously, you have to have someone fill in that spot. And, uh, you know, he's at least going to win, uh, you know, that starter should win at least eight or ten games, you know, sort of thing, no matter who it is. So I think they're in a very enviable position just because, you know, you're not in the AL East or something like that where, you know, you can treat these guys. And if you win, you know, 82, 84, 85 games, you know, you got, you got a chance to be in the playoffs one way or the other. Getting a very informed perspective from Bob Nightingale here on Inside the Clubhouse on 670 The Score. Bob, you know, what do the what, what do the owners want, you think, in terms of a length of season? Do you have a feel for that? You know, I, I think a lot of us don't expect opening day to be on opening day. Don't expect a 162, but we're not sure. Do you, do you have any feel for what the owners would like to happen in terms of a length of season? Well, I think that probably, you know, it, there was a, uh, a number they'd love to have. It'd probably be like 120 games. I think 140 would be pushing it. Hmm. You know, they may not have a choice. I mean, right now the union's not even listening to a, uh, a reduced schedule, you know, unless you get paid the same. And that kind of defeats the purpose. So, uh, you know, they're going to start, you know, probably negotiating a little bit more seriously here, at least open it up. And they've asked the union, hey, can we delay the season by a month? And, you know, and the answer was no. So we'll see. Uh, you know, if there's a Hershey two games and there's no fans again, and, you know, at, at the beginning of the first half, it's going to be a, another rough year. And the team's lost $3 billion playing 60 games. You know, how much you, you know, you can lose two and a half times that much then if you play 162. Uh, I think there's in some places that are going to be in real trouble having fans, particularly in Chicago and uh, in California. You know, very strict regulations. You know, I mean, Texas is still wide open. You know, I live here in Arizona. Restaurants are open here and stuff. So you would imagine they have uh, fans in the ballpark. But I, I think some places like, you know, both at Wrigley and the USL, you know, it's hard to believe you'll have fans before the All-Star break. Bob Nightingale joining us from USA Today for a few more minutes on Inside the Clubhouse. Bob, when you look at... Uh, the schedule that uh, Matt asked you about and going forward here, do you envision that uh, 162 games will be uh, the past once we get to the CBA in Mm. uh, December next year and the fact that um, there'll be more emphasis on uh, gaining money for players and owners from expanded playoffs in the regular season and therefore owners can be talked into the fact that a 145 or 150 game season would be much more practical starting later in the year and uh, maximizing attendance at better warm uh, warm weather times during the year. Uh, do you think that is a, 
a practical part of what we'll see going forward in Major League Baseball? I don't know. You know, the uh, when, you know, when when Bud Sealy was commissioner, he used to always say he'd bring that topic up every single year, and the owners still want to play one sixty two. Uh, same with the players; nobody wants to give up in, any of that money. Uh, you know, and you know you're not going to get the same you know uh, money from the TV stations either. They'll cut back. So I'm not sure. You know, maybe go back to one fifty four uh, just to keep the historic value of baseball season and everything else. I don't. I don't see anything less than that. I just think you know, even if, you know, one sixty two, one fifty four. That's just eight games, but nobody wants to give up eight games of a of a game or uh, or or the paycheck and same thing with TV. I just think there's just too much money at stake. So you know, I just think uh, Madden works otherwise yeah. in April. I think Matt and Bob that that uh, fans might. Uh, you know, now that they've been away from the game for a year, not attending, that uh, they will balk at uh, attending games that are uncomfortable in the future. That's just my guess. Uh, when it's bad weather months in uh, in April in the Midwest or out east, that uh, ideally um, you'll wait till to go and and see baseball played in better weather. Yeah, it's possible. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's much worse w- weather than uh, April, you know, than, than October for sure. You know, maybe you could even move the you know the playoffs back to November again. Uh, the, the neutral sites work. I can see why you don't want to do it. I mean, you don't, you know, hey, that that stadium was a uh, filled with all Dodger fans. I felt bad for Tampa Bay. There were really any uh, Tampa Bay fans there. Uh, but I, I could see if you want to do like a, a two-game neutral site. And then go from there and have your award show and everything else. Uh, that, that you know, it, it's kind of fun knowing where the World Series is going to be at least for a, a couple of games. And uh, tell you what, that ballpark in, in Texas is just you know gorgeous and, and massive. It's actually a perfect place to do it. And as baseball says, you know, they love to have they love to have games at on the central time zone where you are. It's just perfect for viewership. Boy, so many different things on the table, and it can be fun to talk about. It can be frustrating to talk about, but I keep thinking about how many things there are to agree on for the sides, Bob, and I'm hoping that they learned something from this past year and just the ugliness of that public negotiation um, while there was nothing else going on. But but I'm worried. I'm worried that even in the, with one year before the CBA, we don't even know if there's a universal DH. We don't know if there's expanded playoffs. We don't know if there's an opening day. Uh, it, it, are, are we going to see more ugliness uh, even just before this one year to get those kind of things ironed out? And, you know, I think they learned their lesson, Matt. I think they realized the fans had zero appetite for, uh, you know, the ugliness that came out publicly. So I think they'll do this one much more private, you know, at least before the 2021 season. I, I still think we'll – I'd be shocked if we don't have the universal DH. Uh, yeah, I know the players players love it. The owners like it, too. I need more offense in the game. And with the pitchers not having hit for an entire season now, they don't want to put them back in the uh, uh, batter's box. And, hey, the players love the expanded playoffs when I talk to. So uh, I think they'll have that, too. They won't go to 16 teams, but, uh, you know, at least 12, if not 14 teams. Uh, you know, hey, players love having a better chance of the playoffs too. The fans seem to like the best of three. And I think that best of three first round is you know much more fair than just a, a winner take all sudden death game. I know it would have helped out you know the White Sox, of course, uh, against Oakland. 
So it's just, it's just much more fair. So we'll see. Now, I do, I do think it's going to get real ugly, Matt, a year from now uh, for, for the next CBA. If they're having so much trouble talking about these issues, what's going to like, you know, trying to rip up the entire CBA? Bob, in closing with you, do you think that, is, uh, that sports and baseball in particular are on a collision course uh, dealing with the public sentiment and uh, the government uh, knowing that uh, because of their, their great health uh, in general and their youth that they would be last, near last on a list for getting an inoculation for with a vacancy for, for COVID and the fact that uh, – for the better good of the morale of American people, would they? you think there'll be conversations about athletes being pushed up on that list uh, rather than hmm. waiting their turn till uh, June, July, or August? I really believe you got to wait your turn, uh, Bruce. You know, uh, baseball, seems like they follow the NBA. Uh, you know, when the NBA shuts down, baseball shuts down. You know, I think with the Adam Silver, was it just a, uh, the other day, he said, hey, we are not cutting in line. We're going to be the last ones here. We have young, young athletes here. They they can take their uh, wait for their turn. And I think baseball is going to have to do the same thing. And yeah, maybe managers and coaches, that sort of thing, you know, can get it. It just is they're uh, like any other business. But I I can't see them you know getting their vaccines and stuff before May or June. And you know, and, and with the fans not having you know, vaccines until midsummer. You know, that's why I worry about a lot of places. Just how many fans you're going to have in a ballpark, or if you're going to have any. Uh, you, know, you know, like we said, particularly in California and Illinois, which we have much more strict regulations than anywhere else in the country. I wonder, Bob, if there's going to be something league-wide about fans having to pr- show proof of vaccination to go into the ballpark. You think that's going to get discussed? I'm sure it's going to come up for all sports, that kind of thing. Yeah, I'm not sure, man. That'd be tough. I mean, I think it'd be easy for people to, uh, you know, get, you know, false things, that, that sort of thing. And just, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm like, you know, college kids get your you know, fake, fake IDs and driver's license. So, and I, I think it would take forever, too, at the, uh, just to get to the gate. So I don't, I don't see that. But I do think that even, you know, when the vaccine's out there in, you know, by uh, midsummer, I, I can still think that if you're a young family and, you know, it, you all have the vaccination, you're still going to be a little skittish sitting next to strangers. So that, that may take a while for for stadiums to be jam-packed. Again. Uh, it was it was perfect during the World Series. You just get 11,500 people out of the stadium with over 40,000. You bought tickets and pods. So maybe that's the way to go. You know who you're sitting next to here. Mm-hmm. Bob, uh, we appreciate your time as always. It's a great catching up with you. We'll do it again uh, rather soon. Uh, we're hoping, Matt and I, uh, every week, we hope that uh, both sides uh, get their act together and at least come up with some rules so National League teams know whether or not there's a uh, there's a DH or not to uh, be able to prepare for or trade for or bring up from their minor league system. It's 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 looking kind of silly again and. Uh, Baseball doesn't need uh, that that extra smudge on their face any longer. Thanks again for uh, joining us, and uh, take care. Have a great uh, new year. We'll talk to you soon. Sounds great. Thank you, guys, and look forward to uh, hopefully seeing you in spring training. Be nice. Yeah, <laughs> we hope. It. Without, it was a lonely year last year going to the ballpark. <laughs> no. and to Thanks, Bob. Appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, with, uh, odd times around baseball, that's for sure. Seriously, just for Marcelo Zuna's free agent market, 
Can we get a DH ruling? Bruce, I mean, my God, you know, teams don't know whether whether Kyle Schwarber's free agent market. I mean, oh yeah, I mean, he's uh, you know he's more of a central uh, uh, issue here. You know, knowing that. Yep. Uh, you know, I mean, it's it's not beyond the. I don't think, I don't think the White Sox will add a player like Schwarber right now because they've they've solved a little bit of their outfield situation. But um, you know, a, another big left-handed bat for. A team like the White Sox, more importantly for a team like the, uh, you know, Padres or uh, one of the up-and-coming teams, uh, that they're limited to their knowledge of, you know, whether or not a guy like Schwarber would fit in or Osuna. Yeah, it's uh, it's crazy times. Fifty years in broadcasting. What hmm. are the memorable baseball bits? Not you, Bruce. Not you. It's probably more than that for you. No, no, come on. Come on. Don't be don't be don't don't be old score like, would you? No, no, no. That's not what I meant. I mean, that's, it's just, that's old just score like. Yeah, it is. Genuinely, sure it is. Know, genuinely thinking about it. Of course it, it is. No, you got a later you got a later yeah. start. You got a yeah, later start. More than start. 50. Come on. Yeah, no. Um but Bruce, uh, Bruce Levine is 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 a young pup when it comes to uh, Les Grobstein, that's for sure. Because Les is the one with, with all the experience. We'll talk to Les about 50 years in broadcasting and what is memorable from the baseball side for him next on 670 The Score. All these so-called fans that come out here and say they're Cub fans that are supposed to be behind you, ripping every thing you do. I'll tell you one thing. I hope we get hotter just to stuff it up than 3,000 people that show up every day. Because if they're the real Chicago fans, they can kiss my Oh, my goodness. That is Lee Elia with a rant that he regretted pretty quickly. And he regretted it more because somebody, some journalist, did a tremendous job of recording that tape and getting it out to the world, didn't he, Bruce Levine? He did indeed, and um, I believe our next guest is ready, is he not? He is on the Alpamonte Ford hotline. Alpamonte Ford is in Melrose Park. Who was that man? That is the one and the only, and when you use that term one and only, you can only be talking about in radio our good friend and colleague, Les Grabstein, who joins us celebrating 50 years on December 29th of a uh, fabulous career that has been historic in many ways less and certainly the Lee Elia tape uh, is maybe one of your crowning moments wouldn't you say mm-hmm. uh, that and maybe a couple of other things Bruce Bruce and uh, Spiegs good to talk to both of you and um, April 29th 1983 doesn't seem like it's that long ago now does it <laughs> yeah, 37 years here and there you know <laughs> but uh, when you've uh, when you when people still talk about that particular tape, um, we it transcends uh, decades. It, it goes on and on and on. Uh, Matt, you'll be interested to hear this, that uh, four, maybe five years ago now, mm-hmm. uh, Paul Canerico came up to me, and uh, this was in his last year, and he said, tell Les that I will pay for the microphone he used to interview Lee Elia that day <laughs> in 1983. So if he can find that microphone, I will purchase it from him for my personal sports collection. That's, uh, awesome. that's how far it moves along. 
Les, you never did find that mic again, did you? Well, yeah, I did. It's in the next room. I still have it here. And uh, okay. uh, I've talked to Paulie about it a couple of times, and uh, we never came up uh, with any kind of a figure or anything like that. But um, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I think he thought uh, maybe I would just give it to him or whatever. But uh, um, we, we've talked about it. It's a possibility down the road, but uh, we'll see. How many how many people were in the room uh, when you're recording uh, Lee Ilya at, at that moment? There, did when he, we did started he... it out, Matt, yeah. there were three beat writers, Joel Berg of the Sun-Times, Robert Marcus of the uh, Tribune, and Don Frisky of the Daily Herald, who still uh, sure uh, uh, gets to uh, score certain games for both teams in this day and age. And I was in there. Nobody else was in there yet, and the reason is, and uh, Bruce knows this, Mm-hmm. Mike Marshall, who went to Buffalo Grove High School, that was the first time he ever had appeared in Wrigley Field as a ball player. And everybody, since Marshall had hit a home run in that game for the Dodgers, wanted to go to L.A. first. But the three beat writers, beat, beat writers and myself, we decided, no, let's go in there and talk to the manager. And we did. And then eventually... Uh, after a while, and again, I know every word verbatim, and I don't really want to go into that right now because a lot of it, um, <laughs> a lot of them begin with the letter F and a few other uh, letters, whatever. We can't uh, really go into that on the radio. We just can't do it. But what happened was, after a while, he said, uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of things going on, you know, and I basically decided. I'm going to try to break it up because we all like Lee Elia personally. I think Bruce will back me up on this. And what happened was um, I said, see you tomorrow, because there was another game the next day. And he smiled, said, okay. And so I started to walk out, and all of a sudden he started up again, just kept on going. And the first TV guy that came in there was Mark Greco, who at that time was working for NBC5. Now, of course, he's with ABC7. And so after that, I had some other things going on as well. Uh, and after after that all happened, in came um, not only uh, Gian Greco, but there were some other reporters. And Jim Rose came in from Channel 7. And there were some others that came in there as well. And eventually I walked out and I went into the left field corner because that's where the old bullpen was located. And that's where the old uh, um, the clubhouse was located. First person I ran into out there was another guy that I was working for because I was still working for the AP and I still do to a certain extent today too. It was Joe Mushel. And I said, Joe, you gotta uh, you gotta listen to this. I know you're busy. And he says, What are you talking about, you silly bleep, bleep, bleep? And when he called you a certain <laughs> word, that meant he liked you. So he and I got always got along great. I played him the tape, his eyes lit up, he goes, Oh my god, I gotta get in there. So I took off and I started to head up to the old press box, which is where the uh, right now they have um, uh, that press box is upstairs, as we all know, in the upper level. But the old press box is where the suites are now. So I'm walking down the stairs to get in there. And three gentlemen come out. Who are they? Harry Carey, Vince Lloyd and Lou Boudreaux. And I said, guys, I know this is a Friday and you probably all have dinner reservations or something along that line, but you've got to listen to this. And when I played it, again, uh, Vince Lloyd had a cigar the size of a tree trunk in his mouth and he started spinning it around like Popeye the Sailor used to uh, spin around (laughs) the pipe in his mouth. He couldn't believe it. And he looks at Boudreaux and goes, Jesus, Lou, he's going to get his bleep fired. Uh, This is true, good kid. 
And Harry Carey's going, what, what did that so-and-so, what is he doing? And I said, Harry, do you think the uh, Lee Ely uh, pregame show might be in jeopardy of being preempted tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> so I went in there and I started feeding my station, WLS. And I was told before uh, I went to work, uh, before I came to the ballpark that day, the engineers, and in those days, we could not feed live tape on the air. In those days, everything was uh, with regard to whatever the uh, engineers could do. And they were all IBW, and they, they could only do certain things. So I do call the studio, and I talk to Renee Tondelli, who was one of our uh, tremendous engineers. She now works out in L.A. Anyway, I said, I've got to feed you tape. She says, wait a minute. You know I can't do this. I go, do me a favor, roll tape, come back on the phone, phone and we'll talk about it further. So I played the entire thing for her. She rolled tape on it, and it was an old reel-to-reel thing, which nobody uses anymore today. Mm-hmm. And she gets on the phone, and the first thing she said was, oh, my God. She couldn't believe it. And she ended up in 20 minutes doing about uh, maybe an hour and a half worth of work. In those days, you took a razor blade and you used to cut the thing up and try to uh, put it back and put uh, beep tones in there. And she was like a miracle worker. So we got it done. After a while, Bob Ibach, who is still a very good friend of both uh, Bruce's and mine today, former PR director of the uh, Cubs, and Bob comes up and says, I need a favor. I go, what do you mean? He says, I, 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 I need to uh, borrow your tape. I go, what, you want to play it for Dallas? He goes, yeah. I go, well, no, I'm not getting the guy fired. Hmm. Well, Frisky then came out and said, why don't you give him the tape? Maybe they could uh, get him to come into the uh, press room and apologize, and then uh, maybe it'll save his job. Turned out that was exactly what happened. So, Bruce, uh, you know what happened. At that point, uh, Ibach took the tape in and fed it to Dallas, and Dallas Green, I guess, exploded. He couldn't believe what had happened. And Elia didn't know what he said. He was going to interview, or I should say he was going to go work uh, as an umpire for his uh, daughter's uh, softball game over at Waveland Park, which is just a little bit east of uh, Wrigley Field. And as he was uh, heading over there, he had forgotten his keys. So he left them up in his office. And remember, in those days, there were no cell phones, there was no internet, no nothing. And so he went back into his office, and Dallas Green rings the phone in there, and it was because he had left his keys that uh, he probably didn't get his butt fired that night. So he ends up... uh, Getting on the phone with Dallas, Dallas says, you got to get your butt up here right now. And Lee says, no, i got to umpire my daughter's uh, softball game. He says, okay, that's fine. You umpire your daughter's girlfriend game and uh, her uh, softball game. Come on up here, clean out your locker because you're going to be fired immediately. And so he did get up there, played him the tape, and the rest is history. Hmm. Les, uh, it's quite quite a history in baseball. And I know, what's the first first Cubs team that you covered? The, the first time you were lucky enough to get into Wrigley Field with a press pass and maybe get on the field, what's the first team you got to be around? The first uh, media credential I ever had was in uh, 1970. I was 18 years old. Hmm. I was, um, at that time, I was working uh, at a couple of I was actually working at Channel 7 in the mailroom as a flunky. The one guy I knew very well there was Bill Frank, the late Bill Frank, and I knew him pretty well. And I actually got to go to the All-Star game in Cincinnati that summer. 
and I ran into Frankie there, and what ends up happening, that was the game where uh, Pete Rose bowled over Ray Fossey on a base hit by the Cubs' Jim Hickman. So that was the first of 41 consecutive All-Star games that I got to cover. Wow. And uh, I got to uh, cover that one, and it, it was amazing what had ended up happening. Uh, the first baseball game I ever saw, though, was Cubs and Phillies in 1961. I was, of course, uh, my grandfather took me. I was not a media person. And um, they lost 6-3 to three to Philadelphia and Art Mahaffey. Hmm. Let's, uh, we're going to take a break here, uh, uh, and then we're going to come back with more with you until the top of the hour. Is that okay with you? Sounds good to me. If you have questions. All right, the great, mm-hmm. yeah. Go ahead, if, you have, Matt. if you have questions for Les Grobstein uh, regarding baseball and his 50 years of broadcasting, now is your moment at 312-644-6767. It's a great idea, Bruce Levine, to take some calls with Les. So dial it up or text him into the listener line and ask Les about 50 years in broadcasting in regards to baseball right here on Inside the Clubhouse on 670 The Score. It's inside the clubhouse on 670 The Score. Les Grobstein celebrating 50 years of broadcasting. And Bruce Levine and me, Matt Spiegel, we're pleased to have Les on during the day to talk about this stuff. Uh, A couple of questions via the text line. Um, Les, how many no-hitters have you seen, as far as you know? First one I saw was in 1969. I was Kenny Holtzman's first no-hitter against Atlanta. Uh... Matt, let me ask you a question. Do you know how many uh, strikeouts Holtzman had in that no-hitter? I think it was zero. Correct. None. Yeah. And uh, Hank Aaron hit one, his second to last at bat, and he crushed one to left field that normally would have been down Kenmore Avenue, but the wind was blowing in that day. And that had a lot to do with the the no-hitter situation. But uh, uh, we did see a home run by Ron Santo off of uh, Phil Necro in the first inning, and he managed to put it through the wind. But then the wind got heavier and heavier and heavier. And uh, Hank Aaron hit one that we were pretty sure was out of the ballpark. The wind blew it back into the well in left field there. And Billy Williams went over. They didn't, never gave up on the ball. He leaped up and grabbed it. And that saved the no-hitter. Then who's up with two outs, nobody on base in the top of the ninth inning but Hank Aaron again. Oh. And Holtzman later said that he was going to throw nothing but fastballs and he wasn't going to uh, deviate from that. And he was not going to, uh, you know, even consider walking him and he got him to hit a ground ball to Glenn Becker to second base and uh, Becker threw him out and the place went nuts let's uh let's grab some phone calls for Les Grobstein this is Ed in Arlington Heights you're on with Les talking baseball here on the score hi guys uh Les thanks for a great 50 years and thanks to you guys for what you do every Saturday I'm old school so let me uh see what you think about two simple ideas uh, to make the game uh, filled with a lot more action, a lot more old-school baseball. Uh, so the first idea is these pitchers throw, you know, 98 miles an hour. It used to be the top guys threw about 94. So why not cut out the strikeouts by moving the pitcher's mound back like two feet or so, which is about 4%, which is about how much faster they're throwing. Uh, secondly, uh, to take the juice out of the baseball. I mean, they've put more juice in the baseball at times, and there have been times they had, uh, you know, less, the ball was less juiced. So uh, take the juice out of the baseball, give the batters, batters a chance to hit the ball, and uh, everybody won't be uh, swinging for home runs, and hopefully we get, get back to doubles, singles, triples, 
sacrifices and uh, the, the smaller game, which involves a lot more thank, actions. So. Thank you. Thank you, Ed. Les, what do you think of those ideas? Well, Ed and I are both old school, but uh, number one, they're not going to move the mound, nor should they. That's point one. Point two, uh, the balls are juiced. Major League Baseball has lied through their teeth, claiming that they have not juiced the balls and all the rest. They are juiced. They have been, and they claim that they were unjuicing them last year. Uh, they were still juicing, and the Cubs, and I don't know what's going to happen now that Theo is gone, but they had this uppercut. They've all been swinging for the fence, and I don't mm-hmm. think there's any chance that they're going to take it away. Appreciate it. Uh, Les, uh, let's go to Southside Ron, who wants to hop on with inside the clubhouse and Les Grobstein. Ron. Look here. Well, first of all, this is a real, real pleasure for me because I've been talking to three of you all and enjoying it for so many years. Mm. But in typical Grobber fashion, I'm going to give a date. (laughs) July 17th, 2001. Me and my son were the guests of Les Grobstein for a Milwaukee Brewers White Sox game. We rolled with, with Les. So I'm, I, I'll ask him a question. What was the most exciting uh, White Sox season? Not the best because they won the World Series. But, but, but more importantly, guys, I, I, I just I had to point that out. And he's been uh, a friend for so Many years, and I kept this program, and I'll, I'll always remember. But just somebody that I just truly admire. Um, Les, congratulations, and I'll be talking to you one day next week at night. Thank you That's very awesome. much, Ron. Thanks for checking in, and Ron has been a, a pal for a long time, as just a lot of a lot of our callers and listeners have been. And um, boy, the most exciting White Sox season. Uh, it's hard not to. Well, first of all, 1977 when they had. Uh, uh, that year was unbelievable. Richie Zisk and Oscar Gamble. I know 1972 people always bring up what Richie Allen did that particular year. And yes, I still call him Richie Allen. Dick Allen was something that was started by the Sox PR people back then, and it kind of stuck. But uh, I always knew him as Richie Allen. And that year in 72 was pretty exciting, uh, but they weren't going to win it. The uh, Oakland A's were just too good. But uh, that was a pretty exciting year, and because Richie Allen... Uh, decided to show up the day of the first game, which they won, and he had a homer in his first day. He didn't even have one at bat in spring training that year. He turned that season around. And remember, two years prior to that, 1970, that was the worst season in Sox history. They lost 106 games. And then here they are in 1992, I'm sorry, 1972 under Chuck Tanner and with Richie Allen there. And by the way, Bill Melton, Belton Bill, he had a bad back that year, and he missed much of that season. And Joliet's Eddie Spezio had to play a lot of that uh, third base that year. We only have two minutes left uh, with you, Les. Uh, give, give us your highlight moment uh, baseball-wise. Uh, what, what resonates the most with you uh, throughout your career and your life as a, as a broadcaster? What moment stands out uh, the very most for Les Grobstein? Hard to really say. I know it's, it, it, there have been some interesting things, but... Um, I think when we were in Pittsburgh in 1984, the Cubs finally mm-hmm. got into the playoffs for the first time that year. They ended up ultimately, uh, we know what ended up happening in the playoffs, that, uh, that mess in San Diego. 
And that was just a, a disaster, that three-game weekend before some very obnoxious uh, fans in San Diego that weekend. And you and I, Bruce, we will never, ever, ever forget that. They should have beaten that Padre team and the late uh, Tony Gwynn Sr. even admitted. Mm-hmm. He said, we knew going into this that the Cubs had a better team, but they just got hot. So that was kind of interesting. Uh, yeah. I remember uh, um, Leon Durham passing you a bottle of champagne and you said, I don't drink. Uh, in the middle of the celebration in Pittsburgh. That was uh, some, uh, some, some sensational moments. Les, you and I shared many, many of those uh, throughout the years. And uh, Matt and I just uh, can't thank you enough for being the great broadcaster you've been, the great colleague you've been, uh, the great person you've been all these years. And uh, we're looking forward to many, many more years of Les Grobstein on the radio doing your unique form of broadcasting that no one else could ever replicate, duplicate, or copy ever. It's uniquely Les Grabstein here on The Score. That was quite a flight home after they blew that thing, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. (laughs) (laughs) Could drop a pin and we we wouldn't hear anything. But uh, Les, uh, I mean, Matt, if you have something to add, you know, please do. But it's it's been a great ride for you. And, you know, kudos to... uh, our, our boss, Mitch Rosen, who has made this pretty much Les Grabstein week with all the promos and celebrating your great career. Yeah, absolutely. No, Les, it's, uh, you're a treasure. You're an absolute treasure and uh, one of a kind in the industry, let alone in this town. So I'm um, looking forward to, uh, to future opportunities to mine that brain of yours for material and, uh, and content and conversation. So thanks for waking up with us. Appreciate it's it. It's good to be on with you guys. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Les. Take care. Les the one Grabstein. and only. Yeah. When you like say it. the one and only, uh, you were talking about Les Grobstein. Yeah. On many true. different interesting and loving levels, uh, Les Grobstein is the best. Inside the clubhouse is Bruce Levine and me, Matt Spiegel. Great idea to have Les on and talk some baseball, Bruce. Um, we've got some bonus inside the clubhouse coming up for you because we are here until NFL coverage begins on the score in about 30 minutes. Bill Madden will join us next. Wrote it, uh, a, a brand new book about a baseball icon who left us this year. That's among the topics of discussion as we continue on 670 The Score. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly 